Look at that. Don't accuse me of being in a rut. Well, good morning. This is a great morning. The storyline of the universe is about a great and perfect God. Okay, I got to stop here for a second. A great and perfect God who created an amazing universe, and he called it good. He called it very good. And the story goes on, of course, about a rebellious creation, particularly mankind, who rebelled against this good and great God, preferred to live independent of him, preferred to live sinfully, and so God, in the, and the storyline of the universe, continues with death, hardship, distress, darkness, and gloom. But the buzz of the Bible is about a glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Savior came to live among us, to pay the penalty of the death sentence that was upon us for rebelling against a great God. And he went to the cross several thousand years ago and died on that cross and was buried and rose again on the third day, rose again for us, that we might have our sins forgiven and have a relationship with God. Now, as the story continues, of course, the storyline of most people who have been damaged by sin continue to choose to, to live but end up with death to show for it. This morning, I want to um, take you on a journey because the um, death sentence upon, upon sin and how people have... Uh, turned from God, is not what we were made for. And, and so I, I have really two purposes this morning, although they really become one. And the, the purpose is that, that, in fact, God's people, the people who know the living Lord Jesus Christ, would rejoice and find great joy today in the rehearsal of all the glories and benefits of what Christ has done for us. At the same time, I want to talk to the possibility that there are, uh, about the possibility that there are people here who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, who have been preoccupied with their outer self and have not paid very much attention to their inner self, the state of their soul. I, I want to talk to that group of people. I, I want to talk to those people who, um, who have turned from a relationship with God the opportunity is available to have Jesus Christ reset your life to all that God has for you. And I believe those two things are the same purpose. So the big takeaway of Easter, as I understand it, is life. And that's why we're calling today Life Wins. Because with Christ and what Christ has done, the only description for that is Life Wins. When you finally choose decide to choose what you were made for, life wins. And so I want to talk to you this morning about uh, four uh, 
lessons that we get out of Easter. There are so many more, but I want to pick out four uh, with you this morning. Four things you have been made for that are highlighted from the Easter story. Uh, Jesus' resurrection, that, what Jesus' resurrection brings to us. And, and I really want to ask the question of you, are you enjoying these benefits? So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is the uh, final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It gives the great climactic description of the resurrection of Christ and what happened in this great event. Matthew chapter 28. It says in the text, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. By the way, rolling back the tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let people in. Christ Jesus had already rose from the grave. His appearance, this citizen from heaven, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor... We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. This is the amazing good news to us that I hope our hearts will rejoice in all over again. Let's not become used to these things. Let's allow God's Spirit to really refresh us in the truth all over again today. Our Father and our God, in this great company of people gathered here, our hearts are lifted up with joy. We are so grateful for our Savior, the living God, 
Father, I pray that we would not miss any of the excitement and enthusiasm of the truths that are here. I pray, Father, that our lives would catch fire all over again, that our hearts would be impassioned with this truth. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, so encourage us today, that your joy would fill our lives, fill our hearts. I pray, Father, that we might rejoice and be strengthened by you. I pray, Father, that our, our lives would be affected today and that we would be, um, uh, that, that, that your truth would settle deeply into our lives in a new and profound way because our Savior is alive and he has brought us life and life wins. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I have four things, as I said, for you this morning, and the first is this, in terms of, of, of what this story tells us about, about what we were made for. And the first is this, you have been made for light and not dark gloom, or not gloomy darkness. You have been made for light and not dark or gloomy darkness. I, I think it's rather um, um, disturbing if you read a few verses before the chapter... Eight, uh, 28 of Matthew. It's rather disturbing to see what the chief priests and the Pharisees were doing uh, in between the crucifixion and the, and the uh, resurrection. Notice in verse 62, it says, the next day, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Now, I, I want to pause for a second and, and point out to you that that it's rather, I don't know if irony is the right word, but, but these, these individuals stand in for most of the world around us who for fear that Jesus actually is who he said he is, secure the tomb. They, 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 they put fixed um, fixtures on the tomb so that, so that the, the resurrection allegedly can't take place. It, it seems rather strange that that, uh, that they would uh, go to all of this effort to try and, and prove that Jesus actually isn't who he says. That, that's the first deception that they're, they're actually referring to. The first deception they, they claim was that Jesus is actually God. And the second deception that they're trying to make sure doesn't happen, or alleged deception, is that he would rise from the grave. And, and they've already preconceived the plan uh, in advance as to how they're going to prevent this from taking place. They're, they're going to claim that, that the disciples came and stole the body. We find out that that's later what they did, of course. And, and, and the reason that, that churches like ours aren't, aren't filled to the, to the absolute bursting point is because the thousands and thousands of people in our own community are doing the very same thing as the chief priests and the scribes were doing that day. They're trying to secure the tomb, the grave of their lives for fear that Jesus is actually who he said he is. It's absurd that humanity prefers to live in gloomy darkness, in denial, denying the truth rather than come into the light. It's rather ironic, I think, that the previous age to us was called the age of enlightenment and the present age that we live in is called the age of information, when in fact most of the people around us want nothing to do with true enlightenment, nor do they want anything to do with tr the truth in terms of information. 
They want to live in denial and darkness and gloom. They want to deny that God is who he says he is. So make the tomb secure, as secure as you know how. Why in the world would anybody want to keep the one who claimed to be Messiah buried? It's because people prefer to stay in charge of their own lives rather than to come into the light of the gospel truth of Christ and have life. Lies have been sold as more believable to the hard-hearted than the truth. But we weren't made for that. We weren't made to live in gloomy darkness. We weren't made to live in denial of the truth. And so for those who want something better out of life, for those who truly want information that is right and true, it says in the text that after the Sabbath, in other words, after Saturday, Sunday came. At the cross at 12 noon, God turned down the lights and a dark gloom shrouded the land. We talked about this Friday as a picture of the state of human hearts. But on that glorious Sunday morning, at dawn, it's no accident that the sun is coming up and the Marys are going to the garden. The light of God's glory is shining. And they meet a heavenly citizen there, an angel. It says that the garments were like lightning, brilliant, because this citizen came from heaven. The place of God's glory and light, our great God, is about light, revealing the truth, nothing hidden. For those looking for Jesus, the prophet promised in Isaiah 9, 2, a great light has shone to those living in shadow lands of sin. But for those trying to secure the tomb, the guards, in verse 4, it says they were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And why wouldn't they? Those who live in denial and darkness are living in deadness, walking dead. And so they, sh they shook as dead men. But the angel says to the two Marys, you should not be afraid. Not like them. The reason you shouldn't be afraid is because you're looking for Jesus. Those who are looking for Jesus will find him. And he'll light up their lives. Those who live in darkness will shiver and shake. But those who are open to the truth will find it. He who was crucified, the angel said, now is risen. Come and see with your own eyes. Examine the evidence. Come into the light. Instead of making the tomb of your life more secure, instead of binding the, yourself in the grave of your life, why don't you walk out of the grave to where life wins? You were not made for gloomy darkness. You were made for light. 
There's a second truth that I see here this morning. And it is this. The resurrection teaches us that you have been made for personally experiencing God rather than the impersonal gods that rob your soul. What's the, thing, what's the, the great exclamation of the angel? He is risen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one you saw on the cross who died and was put in the grave, he's not in the grave. He's a living God. He's alive. He is risen. He's not some fantasy. It's not some myth. He's not some uh, impersonal, dreamed up, invented God destined to to, um, disappoint you at the time of your greatest need. No, this one is risen. He's alive. He's truly God. Speaking to a culture, a world that settles for lesser gods, the impersonal gods of our own making, the gods of materialism, trusting in the things that we can get ourselves, trusting in our bank account. I wonder how that's working for the people in Cyprus today. Or the gods of naturalism, trusting only in the things that we can see with our eyes, Or the gods of therapeutism. That somehow uh, someone can talk us into systems of behavior and we can make ourselves well. Or the gods of sensualism. Trusting in what we can feel until we can't feel anymore. Until we can't feel anything anymore. Trusting in the gods of hedonism. Perhaps we can just distract ourselves from how we really are. And to all of those, the angel says, Jesus is alive. He's a living God. And you can personally know him. Quick, go tell his disciples By the way, the ones that are hiding and in fear in a room huddled in Jerusalem, go tell them that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who was promised. He is the living God. Go tell his disciples. He's the one who laid down his own life. They didn't take it from him. He's the one who had the power to raise it up again. This is the one. Go tell his disciples what seemed so final when they took him off the cross and laid him in that tomb. He has proved that life wins. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? There's a new victory, a way to a new victory. Christ is that victory. Not just, by the way, not just a rose as if it's some sort of historic passing description. But rather, he is risen. It's an ongoing reality, an ongoing description. Jesus is risen today. This is not uh, 
to, to, to describe only history. This is to describe the present moment with us right now. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is risen. He is alive. He is among us. He is with us. In fact, um, Jesus described himself in John chapter 11, verse 25, when he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now the women are being told by the angel, go and tell his disciples that, what, that who he said he was, he actually is. Suddenly, it says, they met him in the garden. When you have met Jesus Christ, you will know it. And I think it's rather important to note that Jesus came to them. That's how it always happens. We don't go searching for Christ. The living Christ comes looking for us. and grants us life. What a powerful reality that though this outer shell would die, we will live. That's the promise of Christ. He is alive, a living God. But it won't happen. Listen to me. You won't meet Christ if you insist on securing the tomb of your life. In fact, um, tells us in Luke chapter 24, 11, that at first the disciples didn't believe. The idea of a resurrection from the dead seemed like nonsense to them. But then they saw him. And everything changed. The reality of a personal God, the personal living God was experienced by them. And they went from timid and, and shy and, and, and afraid and holed up in a room to suddenly bold evangelists who went throughout the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, willingly facing, courageously facing martyrdom. Why? How do you go from timid and shy and afraid and holed up in a room and not believing to bold evangelists? There's only one explanation. They met the living Christ personally. They experienced him personally. That's what we were made for. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why don't you just walk out of your grave? The grave of unbelief to where life wins. You've been made for personally experiencing God, not impersonal gods who rob your soul. The resurrection tells me something else. 
it tells me that you've been made for purpose and not pointlessness. There was a dramatic change, as I've already described, after Jesus' resurrection, and it happened almost immediately. It took the disciples' life from pointless to purpose. I mean, listen, they were, they were intimidated. They were huddled up in a room. Think about it. They had put all of their hopes on Jesus Christ. They, they believed that he was the Messiah. They followed him all over Palestine for three years. They believed that, that he had brought purpose to their life and meaning to their life, and they were on a mission with him, and they were enthusiastic about it, and they thought things were going great, and then all of a sudden, they saw him nailed to a cross, and they saw the blood fall out of his body, and they saw him die. And when he died, all of their dreams died. All of their purpose died. And they were huddled in that room looking at each other saying, what's the point? Something changed that. And there are so many people, so many people around us who wonder, what is the point to life? What's the point in going on? I have so much distress and so much trouble around me. My dreams that I had when I were younger, they just haven't come to pass. I'm so disappointed. My life has no purpose, has no meaning. And the intelligentsia of our age continue to heap upon them information that gives them less and less reason to have any purpose. Jesus gathered his followers after his resurrection on a mountain in Galilee and commissioned them, telling them that he had all authority and all power. And he was now giving them and commissioning them to have purpose and meaning. Today, if you are dead in your trespasses and sins and living in the doom and gloom of that, living outside of his light, following impersonal gods that are not there when you're distressed. Christ offers you meaning and purpose. He's the living Lord who commissions you, hey, come and follow me. I'll give your life meaning. Go make disciples. He says, listen, you choose the profession. I'll make it matter. You want to be a doctor? Be a doctor. Go be a Christian doctor. I'll make it matter. You want to be a dentist? Go be a dentist. I'll make you a Christian dentist. I'll make it matter. You, you want to be a nurse? Be a nurse. You pick the profession. You want to be a carpenter? You want to be an electrician? I'll make your life matter because I give you a commission. Go and make disciples. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I give life purpose, meaning. I, and I have all power and all authority, and I'm going to promise you this. That whatever your profession is, whatever you've been called to do, I'm going to go with you. I'll be with you to the end. He commissions us to do what matters so that it does matter. And gives us the power to make it matter. So let's think about this for a moment. If relationships are forever, they matter. 
If, if it's true that, that sorrow and suffering is only momentary, then that matters. If, if it's true that your calling counts, then that matters. The people that you influence and impact for Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise to go with you makes it matter. If it's true that the separation for a temporary moment from our loved ones when they die is true, then it matters because of Christ's resurrection. Christ has given in every facet of our lives, in every possible scenario, purpose and meaning because he's alive. That motley crew went from cowering in some closet on Saturday night to courageous world changers on Sunday. So why don't you walk out of the pointless, meaningless, purposeless grave you've been living in and follow Jesus Christ because life wins with Christ. I see one other thing this morning. You've been made for life and not for death. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, dead or alive, we may live together with him. Jesus died. Our Lord and Savior died. So that whether we have died or we're alive, we live with him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about living. With Jesus, life wins. There was a man. His name was Lazarus. He was a very special friend of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And one day he died. They buried him in a tomb. He was in that tomb for three days, the Bible tells us. They called for Jesus to come. But he didn't arrive before Lazarus had died. But when Jesus arrived, he went over to the grave site and he told the people there, roll away the stone of the tomb. And then he called out, Lazarus, come out. And the man who was dead walked out of the tomb. It says his grave clothes were still entangling him. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus stands in for everyone who comes into contact with Jesus Christ 
in a life-changing way. Jesus is here this morning. Jesus is saying, come out of your tomb. Walk out of your grave. And have those grave clothes that are entangling you removed so that you are freed to follow me. Because with Jesus... We were made for life, not for death. With Jesus, life wins. Why, oh why, would you want to continue to secure the tomb of your life and barricade yourself in the grave of your trespasses when Jesus invites you today to choose life. Come out of the grave. Walk out of the tomb. You will find Jesus is who he says he is, the living Lord and Savior, the one who will forgive you of your sins and grant you eternal life right this very moment. Our Father and our God, I thank you today that you are the living Savior, that you came out of the grave, that you demonstrated power over death, that you alone forgive sins and give us eternal life, cleansing us from our unrighteousness granting to us the righteousness of God, giving us life. A world that chooses death can have life. God, I pray this morning that those who belong to you would rejoice all over again. Help us to lift up our voices now in praise to you and give to you our very best in celebration of life. For those, Lord, who don't know you, who've been spending their lives in denial, running away from you for fear you truly are who you say you are, God, today, let life win. Bring them to yourself. Call them out of the grave. Call them out of their tomb to life, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our Savior has risen from the grave. Our living Lord. We are people of light. People who experience a personal living relationship with the living Lord. We are people who have been given purpose and meaning to life. We are a people of life. When this outward tent gives way, we go from life to life in an instant in the presence of God. And for those of us, and most of us here, have someone, some loved one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and is now in their presence. We'll be reunited with them when Christ returns. 
Oh, glorious day. He is promising to come for us. For those of you, though, who might be here this morning and are not living in light of these truths, you're not living in light. You don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not given purpose to your life. You don't have life because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Walk out of your grave right now. Christ offers you life. He offers you salvation. So this morning, I'm going to pray as we close. And after I've prayed... Those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ will be making your way out that way. But those who Christ is calling out of your grave to life, come this way and meet one of our pastors so we can pray with you and show you from God's word how you can know you're a child of God. We have some literature for you. The story, God's story. Death, life, and the story of Easter. We want you to know that you can choose life. Choose Christ. He's welcoming you. Our Father and our God, thank you for our Christ who loved us and gave himself for us that we might have eternal life, sins forgiven, a relationship with God the Father. And we are looking forward to your coming to be with us, to come and get us, that we might be with you forever. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you. We lift up our praises and our worship to you. This is a day of celebration and joy, for our Savior is alive. And we, as your church, say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Amen and amen.